Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We're going to look at some encouragement from God's Word this day on fathering. First of all, I don't know if you knew this, but a little background on Father's Day. Sonora Smart Todd was an influential in the establishment of Father's Day because her father raised six children by himself after their mother passed away. And this was very uncommon at the time when this happened, as many widowers would place their children in to uh, care of others or sometimes even just quickly marry again. But Sonora was inspired by the work, if you remember we talked about on Mother's Day, Anna Jarvis, who pushed for a Mother's Day celebration. She felt that her father deserved the same recognition that a mother would. So the first time Father's Day was held in June of 1910. And then Father's Day was officially recognized as a holiday in 1972 by President Nixon. So like Mother's Day, Father's Day is full of emotions and feelings and Memories and unfortunately sometimes grief. But God has placed some of the greatest men in our lives to lead us as fathers, mentors, maybe coaches and friends as well. So as we continue here. My page won't go forward. Isn't that wonderful? Awkward silence. There we go. It's true that I remember being young. There was also the the jokes and the the boys, especially, would try to say, "My daddy is better than your daddy." Right? Remember those? Well, there was these three boys that were joking about which one of their dads was paid the highest. Well, three boys were in the schoolyard. They were bragging about who had the highest paid father. The first boy said, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a poem, and they give him $100. The second boy said, well, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a song, and they give him $1,000. The third boy said, my dad is even better than that. He scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes six or eight men just to collect the money. So, however, the truth of the matter is, is that fatherhood is under attack today. Fathers and mothers are now being called birth, birthing people rather than parents. The pronouns of he and she are not accepted anymore in this crazy world that we live in. If you watch TV, then you're most likely going to witness the portrayal of a modern day husband or father as someone who is lazy, incompetent, stupid, or maybe just plain absent. The children tell their parents what to do, and the parents are spineless and worse yet, even absent. But the truth is, the truth is God is our Heavenly Father, which means that God is the Father of all fathers, and the Father to the fatherless of the widows and the orphans, as it says in Psalm 68, verses 5-6. through And as I told you a moment ago, My purpose is not to tell fathers all that they're doing wrong today. 
That's up to God and His Word and His Holy Spirit. My purpose is to encourage everyone, including our fathers today, to to stand up, take a claim of the place of leadership that God has given to them. You see, fathers can change themselves, thereby changing their families, thereby changing the church, but most importantly, thereby changing the world. Fathers, my hats go off to you today. Our world needs fathers. Our church needs fathers. We need male leadership in Homeland Park Baptist Baptist Church more than we ever have. And God is doing a work in the lives of our young men. And I'm grateful for that. And so as we see, what must a father do to have a father's faith? Number one, a father must find confidence in God to fight giants. Yes, we're going back to the popular story of David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 through 11. Let's read that. It says, Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Boy, he could have been a good center for a basketball team, couldn't he? He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also bore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And the shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with iron spears that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. So all of these descriptions, I want you to understand that this giant that was standing before the Israelites, the the giant that was causing King Saul to quake in his boots... Saul, King Saul, should have gone out there and fought this guy. But no, he didn't. He was scared. And he was trying to find all over his kingdom somebody to go out and fight this giant. My friends, there are giants out there today. Whether you be a father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, teenager, child, whatever it is, we all have giants that we face Some of them, we can put a face to them. It may be a person. It may be a job. It may be... A conflict that you have, but there are other giants that we don't see face to face, like sin, selfishness, and just all out disregard for other people. They're out there. These are giants that we face. And I can only imagine as a parent of young children that you're doing all that you can to pray for them and to raise them up to make a difference in this world rather than this world to make the difference in them. What a charge, what a, what a responsibility, and what a blessing. But giants are out there. You face giants, and you need to teach our children and our young folks how to discern that and how to fight giants. And David gives us a great illustration here. We see in verse 8, it says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Isn't it amazing to think that back in this day, When this happened, and God records this in his word, that the fate of two countries depended on a fight between two people. I mean, if that's not the story, I don't know what it is. 
Any of y'all remember Rocky, the, the boxer? I remember back when I was a teenager and there was the big threat of Russia. And so it was him versus the Russian boxer. And, and all the worlds were going to, to unite on depending on which boxer won. But here we fighting for control of the other. Thank goodness we don't do that today. We'd be in a pickle. But the truth is, as we see in verses 4 through 11, giants are, well, giant. The people of Israel were scared because their king Saul was scared. My friends, if you, whatever state of mind that you're in, whatever type of temperament you have, whatever type of reaction you have when you are facing giants, your children will pick up on that. You teach them how to fight the giants in the way that you fight the giants. We must not be afraid to stand up to the giants that mock us, our beliefs, our convictions, and our love according to God's word. You see, the world will always boast in its size and its strength. You'll hear things like, well, everybody knows that this is what's true, or an intelligent families are doing this, or the teacher said so, so it must be right, even if it contradicts with Scripture, or the politicians say that it's right, even though it contradicts with Scripture. Folks, we have to know God's Word to know what it says. Who will stand up for our families, children, and the Word of God? When the things that we see and hear that are being taught and promoted to our children. Having sexual orientation classes in elementary school levels is unheard of. Since when did it become the school's job to teach children about those matters? It's the family. It's the family, the family, the family. And today, fathers and mothers and leaders, you have opportunity to fight for those who are depending on you, your children, those that are less fortunate, the outcasts and the lost. But you will be forced to rely on God when fighting giants. There, You realize God puts things in front of your face and then puts giants in front of you that you are not going to be able to fight on your own. Right now, some of you have these very young, sweet children. I know that they can, they can have their moments. But just wait till they become teenagers. And then all of a sudden, they look at you like you're the dumbest person in the world. Although you know what is right. And there's going to be strife. There's going to be conflict. And you're going to have to fight. But you're not fighting the child. You are fighting the strong will that is within them. And that kind of fight is not fought with weapons. That kind of fight is not fought with physical force. That kind of fight is fought on your knees, praying to God for insight and help as you read his word. You see, David knew that God was on his side, that he would win the battle. And if you look in verses 48, we'll see that Saul ran from Goliath, but David ran towards him. Read verses 41 through 49. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Ruddy-faced means he was red-faced. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Boy, he was very confident in himself, wasn't he? And then David replied to the Philistine, little bitty David. Some people think that he was around 12 years old when he did this. 
Little David. He said, you come to me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword or a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with a sling, and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. It's kind of ironic when you watch movies of the Roman centurions and, and all of these fighters in these movies, and you, you see pictures in the history books. You will notice that eventually they had one piece of metal that came right down the nose plate because of this. That was the area where Goliath is weak. And because of God's Wisdom and God's strength and David's ability, he clocked Goliath right in the weak spot and took him to his knees. So what do we get from this? There's four keys to remember when you're fighting giants. You may not need this today, but you will need it at some point, just like I need it as well. And it's not just for fathers, it's for everybody. When you're fighting giants, you've got to know who you are fighting for. No matter how loud the giants yell, they are no match for a person who is fighting in the name of God, like David. Number two, don't run away from giants. Run towards them. The third thing, fight the giant with the tools God has given you. We just read earlier about all the weapons that Goliath had. He had all of his men that were supporting him. And a little 12-year-old boy with a slingshot comes out and takes down this giant. Folks, don't always look at somebody else and say, well, if I had that, I could do something. If I had this, I could, I could really fight a giant. If I were this, if I were a little bit less that. Folks, you have got exactly what you need to fight the giants if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because he will fight the battle for you. The second thing, my life verse, Exodus 14, 14. Stay calm. When you're fighting giants, stay calm. One of the biggest things they teach people that are in situations where they are rescuing people or in the military or when you're in any kind of situation where there's intense danger, the biggest thing you have to do is to control your adrenaline. Sometimes people that don't stay calm are the ones that are more of a hindrance than those that do. And when it comes to fighting giants, stay calm. Notice it says that the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Folks, do not let the disparity of your situation deceive you into thinking that God is not working. You see, the Israelites, they were escaping Egypt. Pharaoh was on them. They were were almost nipping at their heels. And it was easy for the Israelites to look at this Red Sea and say, there is no way we're going to be able to get across this. Moses himself says, God, I don't know what to do. You're going to have to do it. So he raises his hands, he prays to God, and all of a sudden the Red Sea starts to split. 
My friend, you may have a fight in front of you that you said, I can't do this alone. And my friend, I would say stay calm, trust God, and ask for his help and watch him move the Red Sea in front of you. Because sometimes the best move is to stay calm and watch God work. Remember God's faithfulness, folks. The Israelites, they let their fears get the best of them, even when God had led them to this point. Isn't that the crazy thing? Is that God said, I'm going to give you the promised land, but it wasn't just like, you know, poof, there it is. They, they were led out of Egypt. They were on the run. And then God led them to a Red Sea. God put the very thing in front of them that was going to test them. So, my friends, whether you are a father, mother, child, whoever you may be, there are going to be Red Seas in front of you. Not dumb luck that are not karma. They are tests. They are muscle-building, faith-building opportunities in front of you where God wants to teach you to trust Him to move it because you cannot do it in your own strength. You see, fear, it tells you that God has forgotten you. But faith tells you that God is with you even when you don't see Him. The third thing is is that we must teach the gospel. In Ephesians 6, 4, our world truly needs fathers. Children who grow up with fathers, or excuse me, children who grow up with involved fathers. There's some statistics I want to share with you. I know statistics will just bless your heart, but just hang with me for just a minute. 39% of children are more likely to earn A's in school when their father is involved. 45% less likely to repeat a grade. 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school. Twice as likely to go to college and find stable employment after high school. 75% less likely to have a teen birth. And 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Folks, just because you don't feel like you can teach the gospel like a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or some type of church leadership person, it does not mean that you don't teach. I hear friends with children all the time who make raising children look easy. And all I say is, I don't know what I'm doing, but I just take it day by day. That's what many fathers have said. I've seen the look when that father holds their first child for the first time. And they've got that glazed look over their face like, what am I going to do? You just take it a day at a time, don't you? One day at a time. You do your best, and when you make your mistakes, you make up for them. But you keep on trying. You keep on loving. Everyday parents are teaching their children by the way they respond to them in the world around them. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you have a hot temper, your child will probably have a hot temper. If you don't listen to people, your child will probably not listen to people. Look, I I know it's not foolproof. We've got parents that are doing the best they can every day. And I would tell you to keep pressing on because the benefit outweighs the struggle that you have right now. Just because you can't teach about the gospel doesn't mean you can't model it in front of them. And you guys are doing it today. You're here. You have your family in church. And God bless you for that. Fathers teach children to be funny also. You don't think we'd get out of here without a few of these, did you? Some good old dad jokes. 
Why is it a bad idea to iron your four-leaf clover? Because you shouldn't press your luck. Huh? I didn't want to believe that my dad was stealing from his job as a traffic cop, but when I got home, all the signs were there. It's so bad. Why couldn't the bicycle stand up by itself? It was too tired. <laughs> Last one. Why did the invisible man turn down the job offer? He couldn't see himself doing it. Thank you. Good evening. That's all I got. Why in the world would I, would I stop a sermon to, to tell those silly jokes? Well, seriously, those folks... God created you to be who you are with quirks and all. But please, whatever you do, it's no joking matter. Take your responsibility as spiritual leader of your family very seriously. Because there are giants out there every day seeking to attack that. The strongest lessons are not taught with words, but modeled in action. The strongest lessons are not taught with words, but modeled in action. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This, this verse, I love it because the adults are all about saying, Children, obey your parents. They, they love to go to that. You're my child. You need to obey me. Okay, that's fine, but very rarely do the parents go back and read this where it says, don't provoke your children to misbehave. Paul addresses fathers here as the heads of their families, though the term could mean parents above all else. He warns them against pushing the children to resent them. Folks, it's one thing to teach a child to be tough. It's another thing to break their spirit. The discipline and instruction Paul is talking about is instructing them how to develop their faith in God and their belief in Jesus. So if you don't take it seriously, neither will your children. And that is why we are in the mess we are in today. Finally, I would say fathers of faith are being followed. Fathers of faith, you are being followed. There's a little boy who had been invited to a friend's birthday party. He was so excited, he started the days until the party. But unfortunately, that morning they woke up, there was a terrible snowstorm. Heavy flakes. The wind was howling. And the father told his little son, I'm sorry, son, but looks like the weather's too bad. You're not going to be able to go to the birthday party today. And that little boy was so disappointed. So that boy did what every little boy would do and started begging and nagging, please, please, please. Finally, much to his surprise, his begging paid off. And the father said, all right, you can go to the birthday party. So the boy took his clothes, his outdoor clothes, and he bundled up with his hat and his coat and his mittens. He started down the street to his friend's house. And when he got to the door, he turned around and saw his father turning to walk back home. It was then he realized that his father had been walking behind him all the way to make sure he was safe. There are many times and maybe times where we feel like we are alone. But the truth is, we're always surrounded by the love and goodness of our good, good Father. There is never a time when we are truly on our own. Even when we do not believe in Him, He still abides with us. So having a Father's faith does not mean 
you are perfect or that you have to be. That's why we need Jesus. It does mean depending on him to make you the best that you can be and forgive you where you fall short. So my friends, as I were to recap this message, it would be fight giants in God's strength. Stay calm and trust God. Teach the gospel to your families in the way that you model it. Having them at church, telling them about Jesus. And then also trust God to do the rest.